Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello, my friends. I hope everyone is doing well, whether you are closing deals or planning your 2023 success. I've gotten some nice comments recently from people who enjoy the storytelling aspect of this podcast, and at the same time, when I polled my recent guests, they enjoyed the experience, and I would say most of them told me they have made connections, if not closed business, as a result of their appearance on Life Science Marketing Radio. All that to say, if you're looking for a new or additional ways to tell your story in 2023, Maybe we should have a short conversation about a long conversation to create content for your own channels. There's a link to my calendar in the show notes. Now, let's jump into my conversation with Mehdi Farzanapur. All right. So today I have with me Mehdi Farza. He is the CEO and co-founder of Site2Date. Mehdi, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thank you for having me. So for those who aren't familiar, I would describe Site2Date as market intelligence. It's, you might describe it more broadly than that. How would you say what your business is about? So we add a central in the beginning of it, say central market intelligence, because uh, we think that in order to have a commercial success and use the intelligence, you need to use it in product management, marketing, and sales. And if you can connect them all together, then you can have a growth-minded company. Nice. All right. So the topic today is TAM analysis, total addressable market. So tell me, like, how is this typically done? And then what are the challenges? And then why is it important to do it really well? Oh, that's um, that's important, right? So let um, so the. First, more important question is like why they actually do it and then how it's uh, done. There are many different ways. Is about when you make a total addressable market analysis or in general is a market analysis is to reduce your risks of decisions about the market or market segment or new product app, uh, introduction. So you have a huge upfront investment normally. And it's a few years ahead of the time. And you need to have a, make a decision and align everyone on that. So because you have limited resources, even though if you are a big multi-billion dollar company. So it's very important to reduce your risk and align everyone on the target and focus everyone. So that is why they do market analysis. And they want it to be as factual as possible. Of course, yeah. However, there is a there is an issue because if you want to do it really properly, you need to have it about your market and your product. But typically, how it's done is done through buying third-party data, like uh, reports from all the creators of market reports, which is quite general. Like you know, it doesn't; it never fits your market exactly. So you need to kind of do a deduction from that and make some assumption. And the other problem that they have is that they are not really 
applicable sometimes. You give a few charts or market sizes and such. How would you really integrate it into the next steps? Say, we want to go to, let's say, next generation sequencing. Who are the top players there? How much the market share of the competitor is? Which sites are we need to start with? Like all of that questions. And this is how it's normally done. And that's the challenges are. I can go actually like in a better ways how to do it, but I think, um, yeah, so I can go on and on on this question. Yeah, so you're you're looking at these reports as you say, they don't quite fit. You're making some estimates and you think, well, you know, we can't sell it to everybody in that one or that doesn't cover everybody that we hope to reach. So you have to make some adjustments. Yeah. And of course, a lot of your planning flows out of how much money you think you're going to be able to make in yeah. that market. So um, do you want to tell me like you you obviously have a you think yeah. you have a better way? Yeah. I think, of, uh, <laughs> yes, I think so at least, huh? uh, you know, um, but it's, uh, it's not the, essentially our way is how to collect r- the most relevant data out there for your product. So for your segment. So what we do is that normally customers, if they want to go a bit more granular, they cross-reference the data with their CRM data consumer relationship management, uh, um, but which is very limited and biased towards their understanding and their customer base. Yeah. So what we do, we collect, for example, for customers, all the data from different sources that they, it kind of can be papers, grants, scientific papers, scientific grants, patents, websites, LinkedIn, all of the data that they can have. And then they, we give them a way so they can define their buyer persona or like ideal customer profile. And then this way you can essentially do a bottom-up calculation. So you say, okay, how many people are there in this market? How many companies are there? How much is their purchasing power? How much is my unit price? And then you do a bottom-up calculation, essentially how many devices can I sell here? So it's much more um, accurate because you assign a dollar value from your purchasing and decision-makers, number of purchasers and decision-makers, which actually counts. That's how you would go about. And the good thing about this is it's very much about your market because you know exactly these people fit their ideal customer. Second, is not biased. So you can onboard everyone. It's not your personal opinion anymore because I've been in this market. I have 20 years in experience. So like there are these many. Um, it's very um, objective. And the other thing is that then you can really right away when you make a decision, you can push the same thing and with the more granular data to the marketing and create audiences. They say, okay, like where are the top uh, key accounts that I need to now uh, get? Who are those? So you have really quickly, you can push it through the 
like a product release funnel. Yeah. So I want to back up because we're going to come back to, you know, pushing it into marketing and targeting leads and so on. But um, when you figure out your total addressable market and then you have competitors, right? So where you, yeah. you can think about how many people might have use of your thing, but that's separate from forecast forecasting. And I don't know anything about this. How many of those you believe you can take, right? So yeah. How do you make that estimate of what would be a reasonable thing for mm -hmm. us, you know, a reasonable dent to make in the market with our new product? Uh, that's a very good question. So you have total addressable market. You have a serviceable addressable market. So what your question is, how is, what is my serviceable address? And then how can I break it down and to make it say, okay, how can I drive targets, year targets over it? So what you do, you say, okay, there is ideal customer profiles. Like, I don't know if people, like it's very good in this market, there is crossing the chasm methodol methodology. So you define early adopters, early majority, late adopters and laggers. So if you really know, let's say I have a gene sequencing machine that has certain specific um, competitive advantage to the alternatives already in the market. So how you would do that, you would say, identify the people that actually are on that edge of performance of the previous machines. And you just separate these. For example, we had a specific, like for example, it comes very much in the industry, new correlative imaging techniques that they combine multiple techniques that you do one sample preparation and then you can do multiple experiments on the same. So you're gonna look at how are doing those things repeatedly on the same sample. So those become essentially your first early adopters. Got it. Yeah, and so, the, so there is a framework to say yeah. how many people will fit that and then, um, you know, the early majority has some other criterion that you would yep. say, all right, these are people who would move maybe in the next two years, yes. et cetera. So when your product is more mature, they need more, uh, like early adopters, they, have, they are willing to uh, take more, uh, what do you call it, take more product risks. Right. They are willing to do more. Uh, and then early majority, they need to have it very polished. I put my sample there, click a button, and it's done. And early, like late majority, then they have to have everyone in the, and then they would say, okay, now that everyone has it, now we need to <laughs> invest in it. Yeah. But the thing is, if you cannot separate these from each other, your, your success rates goes very down. Because you say, now I have, I don't know, 10,000 people, companies that I can approach. And who would be there to make that jump, first jump? How can I find them, my first early adopters to use them as a reference to cross the chasm? It would be a very inefficient thing because you'd yeah. be sort of guessing it. At who yeah. You, right. You are essentially on the lock. So you're shooting, you're mass shooting, you're using all the techniques of the 
I mean, B2C marketing. And then you assume that, okay, like you will hit the right people. Yeah. All right. So let's go into that a little bit. So you decide on a target market. How yeah. do you find those new qualified leads? I mean, you sort of hinted at it. Like, yeah. But how would you, for example, identify early adopters? You gave the example of imaging and people yeah. who have already doing sort of the advanced thing and as best as it can be done. Yeah. Um, do we need to say even more about that? I mean, that's... So that's very interesting because it's, um, you know, we are very high target. Uh, like, so let's say now you have the, let's say you say, I want to approach a certain imaging market. Let's say deep tissue imaging, right? It's very hot. And then now you want to see who has, a, like wants to go deeper or not. Who is talking about that my resolution, I'm bounded because I cannot go deeper than what I'm looking at now. So you will find those because we know, we realized it, actually the conversion rates in this market is around 2% average. But imagine if you have, uh, like let's say 1,000, 2,000 potential customers in total, in your customer market, if your conversion rate is 2%, means that you can just convert two, 20 out of them, right? You can have out, if you reach out to the whole market, you get 20 conversations, 20 leads, right? If you're dealing with millions, like if you are selling shoes or Nike shoes, 2% is a very good conversion. <laughs> But now the question is, how can I get start getting 35% conversions here? That I can just talk to the right people. I know what they're doing. So now the question is, who can I talk to? What their problems are? What is their need? How can I address that need? Because it's not about my product, it's about how can I enable them to go deeper in the tissue, right? It's not that I say, okay, I have the best resolution and the best depth uh, microscope. You say, okay, you want to go deeper, how, what is your challenge? You can cut through the chase and go much deeper in the conversations with them. So that is where it happens. So if you know really that who should I talk to? What should I tell them? What should I talk about? And when should I talk to those people? Do they have the budgeting? Are there, is their product old enough that they need to kind of substitute it? And all of that, then you get a much higher conversion rate. And then you get, though you can convert those early adopters much faster. And then you essentially get to leads, and then you pass it on to the um, uh, salespeople, sales team. And then now it's again, how can I convert that faster? How can I teach my as much as possible, enable my salespeople to have a meaningful conversation and help my customer? Because it's a, about helping them. Right. So... 
some of those things are easy to imagine. You can find out if somebody has budget. You can probably find out how old their current solution is. How do you go about finding those people that, as you say, they're ready to go deeper but can't? What 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 kind of data gives you that information? So currently, when we are working on, uh, so. For example, in that uh, example, we had that. Uh, so if someone is publishing like in pharmaceuticals or like somewhere or in the patents or in clinical trials, you know the resolution and depth. And if you see that they are reporting on the maximum depth, right? And if you know that the tissue type that they are talking about, you need much deeper uh like analysis because it's a few millimeters the maximum depth that they have and you talk about people that they talk about photo bleaching like you know i'm going very specifics here yeah, yeah. so uh but people that they know that they intend they when they discuss about photo bleaching and min- minimizing that because to, to go too deeper so then you have essentially understanding of that okay yeah, so I'm getting an understanding, but that's still pretty complicated across all the things people can do to be able to dig out that kind of specificity out yeah. of their publications yeah. and grants. Yes, yes. And um, some yeah. are easier than the others. This is like the hard, like the edge case that I mentioned. But for example, some others is that like who does like infrared at the same time that is doing infrared microscopy, at the same time doing spectroscopy techniques, IR spectroscopy, or electron microscopy and such. So who is doing this frequently together so we can sell them the same device? Or who is using outgoing, like if the competitor is mentioning, uh, like we realize that the competitor is a stop is it stopping the um, support for a certain product line? Where are they installed? Who is using it still? How can we offer them a trade-in? Uh, so give a discount, get that device, and can be faster than the competitor itself. Yeah. So you sort of answered my next few questions about you know the difference between maximizing lead generation and optimizing for conversion, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm by um, really understanding where your customers are, not just geographically, but in their, uh, and not just their workflow, but where they are on the chasm curve. Yeah. Right? Um, and then we talked about um, optimizing for conversion. And I can imagine when you find a new interesting application for your product, this is similar to what you were just talking about, where are those edge cases where you can find people who now might want to be doing the next application that makes sense. So I'm going to jump ahead and ask you so about marketing and sales. So I'm told that sometimes it's difficult to get sales to pursue unknown leads right you hand them some leads and they go oh i don't know those people i, I had so many of these conversations already today <laughs> okay <laughs> so how do you how do you get those folks to to pursue those leads because they think that it's a little extra work 
they're not in their network or for whatever reason. Um, but you know, or you believe those are high value leads. So mm, there is no silver bullets, right? Howard is, is to understand the perspective of both sides, right? Everyone has a limited amount of time. So it's about how can I enable them as much with the knowledge so they can actually take actions fast. Let's say we had a conversation yesterday with one of the partners. They want their sales people to not all only follow the leads, like when someone comes to a web shop and such, but also have a educate themselves prior to that having that conversation. So this takes half an hour minimum if you want to really understand what to, to do. Like just a surface level. How can we reduce that? So of course, if you want to talk to five people a day, each of them half an hour, it's going to be two and a half hours of just preparation. And then you need to do all the admin work. You need to log it in the Salesforce and all of that. Right? Yep. So the question is now, if we would reduce that 20, like 30 minutes, give them five minutes, they can just get much more data. We can just bring it to them on a silver plate and say, okay, this is the information that you need. This is the workflow of a person. This is what the collaborators who can influence this deal. These are the competitors product that they are already using. This is um, how much budget they have and such, history of their budget. Then five minutes, you have a much stronger. So you increase the chance of salespeople following up because now they know it's not just a name that says, okay, they download a brochure on the website and you give a context to a person. They say, okay, this is a significant... You give... Instead of like a name or like, a, you know, statistics, you know, people become like reduced to just a list that you need to go through. You make a per, like you make a person out of them. Right. So and then it's much easier to say, OK, I want to talk to Chris because I know he's doing a podcast and all of that context that I can. It's much easier for me to actually start a conversation. Right. Lots of things to talk about, easier to pursue, and you save a lot of time, but essentially have done the legwork for them and laid out all the Yes, and it's quite the sales uh, force in this industry is highly educated. It's, they are mostly masters or PhD level. It's very diminishing if you ask them, say, okay, call 20 people, right? Uh, but if you give them, say, okay, like there are 20 people that need your help and you can teach them new things and you can enable their work, that's a different case. You are not a sales guy anymore. You are a person that is helping others, colleagues of yours or fellow scientists improve their work. 
That's a, just a perfect segue to my next question, right? Because it, I love that aspect of not just this is your job, and um, but now you, you become a person helping another person, that mindset. So let's talk about that a little bit. What does it take for a vendor like you or me or anyone else to drive a growth mindset into an organization so that people do look at things differently? Because I think this is just a great, this is something that applies for this topic and many others. We are at the, like, we haven't figured this out fully, right? I want to be honest here. Uh, growth mindset is, is like a viral disease. Like the moment that you get that, like you go and get that, you cannot say stop. So what we are doing is teaching everyone that there is so much opportunity out there and showing them that the magnitude of opportunity. And we enable them, regardless of the tools, our competitors, us, LinkedIn Sales Navigator, any tool that is, how they can use that. And then when we come across like that, it, and when we teach them the result, when they get the first results, right, then they cannot take a step back. For example, let me give you a ex complete um, example. We had uh, a colleague, like from one of the partners, um, she approached 50 people on LinkedIn sending connection requests and like approach. And then there was one or two sales out of that, right? That changed the whole stigma against this is a waste of time. Because everyone, everyone says, I have a deal to close. Business development takes the last and like, you know, if I closed all of my deals, then if I have a time, I will tr give it a try, but it's not going to give a result. But that example changed the whole organization. If you can find one person that can essentially be that early adopter and take that action and get the result, then you can show it to everyone. And now it's not about using site to date anymore. It's about how can we grow? And then site to date can be a tool, right? You can use any tool. And we know that for us, we will have a business for, for the foreseeable future. Not only us, we have a business there, but also our competitors have a right. business there. You're expanding the pie. Yes. How we would say it here. Like you're making a bigger pie. We're all going to get a slice. But I mean, that's thought leadership right there, right? You, you get people to think in a different way about doing things. And you just know that even though your competitors will also benefit some fraction of the people that you educate are going to be successful and choose you. And maybe a larger fraction because you helped them get there. Yeah, because, you know, you know, you have been in this market. We have discussed it before as well. That um, in general, high tech markets in the sales and marketing 
technologies and methodologies and such, they are the late adopters of technologies in sales and marketing, right? Uh, which means that the pie is small. Yeah. Right? Because you need to do a lot of education. Now imagine that if you would want to start a zero, like some game or like, you know, uh, market share grabbing game. That is going to be just a lose-lose situation. Because yeah. you get the, uh, my customer, I get your customer. and uh, But if you can get essentially say, okay, like how can we change the mindset? Then all of us going to have a good life. And they're yeah. going to also, like companies also going to grow. They have a bigger budget to invest in these technologies. And then everything going to be uh, helpful. Like uh, for everyone, we're going to be a winning situation. I like it. I love that mindset. So Mehdi Farza, thank you so much. I'm going to put a link to Cited Date in the show notes and to your LinkedIn profile. Yes. And uh, thank you again for taking the time. Yes. Thank you very much, Chris. My pleasure. That's it for now. I'm calling that the last episode of 2022. I'm going to take a couple weeks off to enjoy the family, and I'll be back in the new year with a lot of interesting conversations. Enjoy the holidays, everybody. Bye-bye.